0: All right, um, we're going to be talking about here the testimony for Jesus. I was really unsure how to label this one, but John 5, 30 to 47. We're in a study of the book of John. Now, I ju- just want you to re- remind you of what has gone on before in John chapter 5. Jesus comes and he heals a man, and he tells the man on the Sabbath, pick up your mat and walk. And the Pharisees get crazy over that. They get so angry. Why? Because you're not allowed to carry something on the Sabbath. It breaks the Sabbath law as far as they're concerned. Even if it's just a mat, you know, and I told you, if he, if he put the mat over his shoulders and fastened it with a bobby pin, he'd be wearing it and it would have been okay. See, that's how crazy they get about that. So then this man says, well, this guy told me to. And so they're, they're confronting Jesus. And what they're essentially doing, because they use the words, the words are throughout this, is they're putting him on, it's like a trial. It's just like a trial that's going on. They're putting Jesus on trial. Who do you think you are? How do you think you can do this? And so, in the previous uh, parts of chapter 5, Jesus started talking about who he thought he was. He talked about that he's the judge, that there's a judgment coming, that we have to be careful. We have to understand that and and function knowing that that is something that is there. Uh, They were trying to be the judge of him. And he's saying no. So in essence, if you could imagine this, because sometimes this helps me to understand things. Imagine you're in a courtroom. This is a courtroom scene. So there's going to be testimony. There's going to be indictments. And then there's going to be defense testimony that we've already seen the prosecution. They've got up and said, you break the Sabbath laws. That's enough for us to write you off. And so Jesus is going to call witnesses in his defense. But actually, and this, you know, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to flip it and suddenly begin to charge them with offenses. He's going to start laying indictments at their feet. So he's going to call witnesses for himself, and then he's just going to flip it. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. It's like if you ever, you know, watch some of those courtroom dramas, you know, where, where suddenly in the middle of it, the, some one of the lawyers gets up and says, "'Your Honor, we have received new evidence that my client did not commit this crime.'" But this man, you know, dun, 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 like that. uh, Everybody's like, oh, my goodness, never saw that coming, right? Even though it happens every time, all right? So these indictments are leveled at the Pharisees and the Jews who are listening. They're actually aimed at us also. And if we allow these things to just go by us without considering them, then, then we are doing our the Word of God in justice, and we're doing the Son of God in justice because he's dealing with things that have to do with the soul, that have to do with eternal life. And John has stated that that's the purpose of his book. He wants us to understand who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. All right? So first thing we're going to see is we're going to see the case for Jesus. Jesus is, in a sense, going to present his case. And the first thing he does is he, he presents in a, a personal testimony about himself. And this is in 30 and 31. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. All right? So what is he saying here? What does he say? He's, first of all, he's saying, I have a testimony here. He says, I, I, I just did this healing. I told this man he could pick up his mat. But I want you to know... You say I broke the Sabbath law, but I want you to know I do nothing on my own. What I do is from God. He he wanted me to do that. Jesus is not working alone, he's saying. He's working with the Father. They work together alongside each other. And this is very important for us to understand when we talk about rightly knowing the Father, because the truth is the Son never acts independently of the Father. And when we begin to see the Son, we see the Father. We understand the character of the Father when we understand the character of Jesus. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. And second, Jesus claims to be able to hear the Father's voice and apply and and do what the Father tells him to do. He says, as I hear, I judge, my judgment is just. They're true, they're right, they're accurate, they're fair. And third, he's doing God's will. He's not seeking to do his own will. And there's a powerful application for us in this. Whose will are you actively seeking in your life? Are there things for you and for me that you know God wants and you're putting them aside to satisfy your own desires? Jesus is saying, I'm not doing that. We should not be doing that. But then he has this interesting phrase in verse 31. If you see it there, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What does he say? He's saying, if I'm the only one who gives the testimony... It's not acceptable. In Deuteronomy, it, 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 the Old Testament, it makes it very clear. You have to have two or three witnesses for testimony to be accepted. And a person's own personal testimony is not the primary testimony. So Jesus says, look, you can, uh, this is what I say about myself. This is what I'm doing. But I don't, expe- I don't expect you to accept this testimony because this is my testimony concerning myself. So let me introduce some other testimonies. And so he's going to bring up four witnesses. First of all, he's going to bring up John the Baptist. So imagine, here we are. It's a courtroom scene. You know, for my first witness, I like to call John the Baptist. So here's this guy. He's got a big beard, you know, and he's coming up. John the Baptist. And and so Jesus starts to talk, and he says this. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So Jesus is saying, first of all, he's saying, look, John said this about me. What John said is true. And and at the end, in verse 35, he says, you listened to him. He was a lamp. He burned brightly. And you enjoyed that lamp. And and we know from from the testimony of scriptures that lots of people, John was very popular, even, even Pharisees, they were going out to hear him because they considered him a prophet. He was acknowledged by the people to be a prophet and that his message was from God. And Jesus is saying, did you listen to his message? Because what was his message? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. There is one coming who, their sandal I can't even tie. There is one who is greater than me. And so they may, you know, just like a courtroom scene, John, what was your testimony about Jesus? And, I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing John 1 now. Because they came to John and they said, who are you? And he said, I'm not the Christ. They said, well, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he said, no. Well, then, who are you? And if you remember, when we studied that, they said, we have to give an answer to the people who sent us. We're coming on, on behalf of the religious elite of all of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the, the best of the best, the top. We speak for them. And please answer, because we've got to give them an answer, right? And so he said, this is who I am. I'm a voice crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. There's one coming who's much greater than I am, and I'm not worthy to even unstrap his sandals. And then Jesus walks up, if you remember, and Jesus says, Behold, look, look. So it's a a word of intensity. Look, there is, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And remember, John was a priest. He was in the priestly line. One of the things they were trained to do is recognize the lambs that were worthy for sacrifice. And John says, There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I've been telling you about. I baptized with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and borne witness, John said, that he is the Son of God. Now, John just gives this testimony. Jesus says, look, this is what John said about me. This is what he said. You guys are asking me who I am? I'm telling you who I am. John was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Jesus says in verse 34... Um, it's kind of interesting. He says, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. What is he saying? He's saying, you need human testimony. I don't need human testimony. Not me personally. I don't need human testimony. But you do. Why? So that you may be saved. Very interesting thing here I think about is this, is that Jesus is looking at his opponents. These are the men that hate him. These are the men who will ultimately kill him. And he's telling them, this is my concern that you will be saved. His heart is going out to those people, to his enemies. In the midst of this time where they are belittling him, where where they are scoffing at him, and what is his concern? His concern is they come to know him. They come to have eternal life because he's saying, I am the lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. This, This is what love is. If you want to know what true love is, Jesus is the perfect example. In the midst of being accused, in the midst of being belittled and scoffed and scorned, he says, I don't even care about that. I want you to know me. I want you to have eternal life. And he's saying the same thing today to every one of us. To each of us, same thing. I want you to be saved. Because each individual has to make that decision. Each one of us is is the one who's responsible for that. And if God has been showing you that need, don't put it off. It is the most important decision you'll ever make. His four witnesses, the first is John the Baptist. The second witness, the second testimony, is the testimony of his works. He says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. He says, okay, John, everybody loved him. John, they listened to him. This is what he was saying. He was pointing to me, but I got something bigger than that. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, what I'm doing right now in front of you, testify that the Father has sent me. You consider John to be a prophet, and I am above him. And the things I do are that way. Particularly in view here is the idea of miracles. Because we have to remember what is the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles was not a show. It was not for people to go, oh, my goodness, look. The purpose of the miracles was to begin to usher in the kingdom of God, to say, this is what I'm I'm about. They're not splashy displays. If you notice, Jesus does a lot of his miracles in the middle of nowhere. He does a lot of miracles where it's not a big deal for people to see. There's not that many people there. Why? Because that's not his point. His point is, we just sang this, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I'm bringing up there, down here. I'm bringing my kingdom to this earth. What is my kingdom like? He says, my kingdom is shalom. My kingdom is that Jewish idea, shalom, is that idea of rightness and wholeness and peace with God and a healing to a sin-sick world. That's what's wrapped up in that idea of, of shalom. And Jesus is saying, that's what this is about. I turned water into wine at Cana. Why? Because I'm the bringer of joy. I healed someone. Why? Because I bind up the broken. I feed people, 5,000 people in the middle of nowhere. 5,000 men, I should say, in the middle of nowhere. More women and children also. Why? Because I give to those who want. I meet the needs of those who are hungry. I raise the dead. Why? Because I bring life to the lifeless. What is he saying? He's saying, my miracles point to what my kingdom is like. And I want my kingdom to grow. I want it to come, and I want it to spread. That's part of why he's come and met us. He's come and worked in our lives so that we'll be, a, we'll be kingdom bringers. We'll bring healing. We'll bring joy. We'll bring life. We'll bring the good news to people who don't have it. You remember a while after this John is in prison and he's struggling and he asked Jesus are you the one or do we look for another John said i, I was the forerunner i mean was it you did i make, did I, is this, has this been a mistake he's wondering and Jesus said to his messengers he said go back Oh, here it is. I got. It. I put it up for you. See, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the blind, the, lame walk, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, go and tell them, what are those? That's from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. It's two passages that he kind of melded, melded together. And it was two passages where they said, here's how you know the Messiah has come. Here's what the Messiah will do. And Jesus is saying, my miracles are showing that. Here's what they do. It's a very poignant statement. These are the works. This is my testimony. I'm fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah, John. It's interesting, though. It is very poignant because there's one line Jesus leaves out of that. John is in prison. His life is on the line. And Jesus doesn't repeat the line. The prisoners will be set free. Because he says, he's saying to John, John, you fulfilled your mission. You're done. You're not getting out of prison. Because part of John's thought was, if there's another, I need to get out of prison so that I can be the the forerunner for whoever it is that I'm. And Jesus is like, nope, there's not another. It was me. You were right. You're done. And not long after, John. Received from the Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because he gave his life for Christ. And so the works of Jesus, they testified to who he is. They testified of his mission on this earth. The third testimony is the testimony of the Father. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. See, over and over and over, Jesus is using, I'm saying, making a courtroom scene because he's using courtroom ver- words he's framing it in this way for us and so he's laying out his testimony one thing the next thing now the third thing he says the third my my third witness is, is is my father so it's the testimony of the father and and this is this idea it could be it could be referencing when when the father spoke at Jesus baptism John doesn't record those words but that must have spread like wildfire when it happened but it also ties in with what Jesus is doing. If you remember in John 3, we looked at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus came to him and said, you do these things because the Father is with you. Only a person who has the Father with him could do these things. And Jesus is saying, yep, that's what it is. The Father is with me. And so he's claiming the Father sent me. And that's a part of his his testimony. The, The fourth one is the testimony of the scriptures. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life? These are the very scriptures that testify about me. See, there's that word, testify again. And you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus calls his fourth witness. Your Honor, I'd like to call my fourth witness. I'd like the scriptures to come up, you know, and so, so they have this. He has this word, this, now the, the the scriptures are his witness. And this is the witness that the Pharisees are using against Jesus. Because they're saying, You broke the law by healing on a Sabbath. And Jesus says. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in, him, in them you have eternal life. They testify about me. The Scriptures point to me. From the very beginning, the focus is the Messiah who is coming. And this is a shocking claim because Jesus admits to the Jews, he says, you, you study hard. I, I give you that. you got props for that. You study your Old Testament. That's their Bible. However, he goes on to explain that all their diligent study, they've failed to see the goal of Scripture. They failed to see Jesus. This is an age-old problem. People taking the Scriptures and seeing what they want to see. It happens today just as much. People coming with an agenda and superimposing it on the Scriptures. If you go, you know, coming with something, and they just look, 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 until they find something that seems to hint, and go, yes, I knew it, and interpreting however they want. And if we take the parts we like and the parts that make us feel good and then we ignore the parts we don't like and the parts that make us uncomfortable, we're being the Pharisees. We have become them when we do that. Using Scripture to our advantage for our own personal purposes. When I was was in um, um, college and then seminary, um, one time I, I I took a class on debate. And so we were assigned the topic and assigned which side of the topic that we were going to take. And, uh, and one thing I'd learned in this debate class, the, the professor just mentioned it casually, but I was like, this is important. He said, if you can figure out, because here's what it is, when you have these debates, nobody wants to go first. They always want to be able to be the answer, not the first one. And the, and the professor just mentioned one time to a couple students, if you can figure out what your opponent is going to say, you can destroy your opponent before they've even got up to say a word. And I was just like, that sounds great. That sounds like fun. I mean, I like destroying people, so that sounds like lots of fun. And so what I did was I researched his side and figured out I know what he's going to say. It's all pretty clear cut. And then I started researching how I was going to undercut everything he said before he even got up. I was going to say, look, he, he's going to use this passage, but he can't use this passage. Here's why. And he wants to use this passage. He can't use this passage. Here's why. And I had a roommate, and he looked at me and he said, This is the word of God. What do you think you're doing? And I said, I'm winning an argument for a grade. And he goes, Not like this. Don't do it like this. Because these are the words of life. Don't diminish, don't twist. Because I knew a couple of them, I would have to fudge it a little. Don't do it. He said, just present your side. Because maybe he's right. No, no, I can believe that, right? Why? Because I was falling in this idea that the Bible is my textbook. This can happen to people in seminary. The Bible becomes your textbook, and you treat it like a textbook, and you forget it's the Word of God. You forget it's the word of God. And Jesus is saying, these scriptures, you have misused them to the Pharisees. You've used them to your own advantage. And he says that that is wrong because they testify of me. You've missed it. So sometimes the word reassures us and comforts us. And sometimes the word makes us uncomfortable and it upsets us because that's what happens in a relationship. And God is interested in us growing and becoming more. Jesus makes this clear. And don't misunderstand me on this, but we don't worship the Scriptures. We worship Jesus. The words are not inherently life. They point to where life is found, and it's found in Jesus. His life is everlasting. We call the Scriptures the words of life only because they point to Jesus. That's why. The Pharisees fought that if they obeyed the commands, they would earn life, eternal life. And they missed what it, all those commands, those, all that Scripture was pointing to because it's Jesus. He's the point. Now, this is where something happened that gets very key. This is the dun-dun-dun moment because now Jesus is going to flip it. He's going to turn the tables. It starts in the second half of, of, of verse 37, and he just want, he says, I'm going to start introducing... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up some indictments. He says, you've indicted me. So here we go. First indictment. He says, you have never heard his voice. And I mean, the verse 37b says, you have never heard his, I'm really inventive with my number of things right now. Right? He just says it. You, you've never heard his voice. You've never heard his voice. You think you know him. You know what He said, but you've got it wrong. There's no relationship here. You're not able to discern his voice. You would not be able to discern his voice if he was audibly speaking to you because Jesus is saying, because he is right now speaking to you. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. They hear my voice. Second one, he says, you have not seen him. End of verse 37. You haven't heard his voice nor have seen his form you wouldn't recognize him if he was standing in front of you, because he is. That's Jesus's point. He's standing. You see me. You see the Father. And so this goes way beyond actual form. This is this idea that you just don't know him. You don't understand his heart. My wife and I have been married 40 years, and one thing happens is we begin to understand each other more and more. You, know, you it can start in the first year. I'm not, but it just as it goes, it's more and more. And, and now it's gotten to the point sometimes where I am um, being my normal sometimes doofus self, and she will just say, "Have I done something wrong, or is it just just normal dumb stuff?" And I'll be like, no, <laughs> "I don't like logic. Let's not use that." Um, and and because she knows me, you know, you walk with someone through life and you get to know each other. Deeply. It's the same thing with walking with God. He's telling these Pharisees, you don't know him. You think you're walking with him, and you don't even know him because he's not walking with you. And when you do that with a person, I mean, it it amazes me. My wife loves me. She accepts me with with all my flaws and all my foibles, all the different things, and yet she loves me. And, and, And this is what Jesus is saying. If you walk with him, you'll know him. And if you're walking with him, Jesus says, then you would know me. And you've missed it. You've missed it. Third one, you do not believe. All right, you don't believe. Verse 38, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. So he's saying, the word's not dwelling in you, therefore you do not believe in me. You've got the word in your head pretty we're pretty sure on this all pharisees had the whole old testament memorized word for word M- many jews i mean part of the jewish education it was all based on memorizing scripture so average jews would often know huge portions of the word by heart by memory and oftentimes what they would do and you will see this you'll see this in scripture a lot of times they would quote a part of a verse maybe and we just saw it part of a verse and then connect it to another part of the verse so people would understand the whole, everything's involved in that. I don't have to quote all 12, all 12 verses. I quote the part of the first one, part of the, part of the 12th one, and you get everything in between. That's why I, I really think for most Jews, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? When he quoted Psalm 22, they all knew the whole Psalm. So that when he said that, that glued them into the, because if you read that whole Psalm, it screams Jesus at you. And so Jesus quotes a part of it, and they all connect the whole thing. And so he's telling them, You guys are amazing. You've got it all memorized. He says, But you missed something. I wrote it. It's my word. It's not in your heart. It's not in your heart. So you you do not know the love of God. Um, You've heard his voice. Here we go. Next one is.
1: Oh oh I'm sorry here we go.
0: Next one is you do not know the love you do not have the love of God. He says I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. And in verse 41 here seems to be the idea that Jesus does not need men to give him glory. The glory of men doesn't fulfill him or complete him. He has no need for it. In John earlier we saw that we as human beings are glory grabbers. We were made for glory. And we lost it. We threw it away like an unwanted, you know, toy. We just tossed it. And we lost what we were made for. And so now we're glory. We're seeking glory. We're seeking meaning. We're seeking purpose purpose in so many different things. And then Philippians 2 shows that Jesus is the opposite. He did not think equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He was not a glory grabber. He was not like, I got to have it. I got to have it. I can't let go. I can't let go. And so he says, I don't accept glory from human beings. I love it in, in verse 42. He says, but, but I know you. I know you. And here's one of those times where in the Greek, the tense is very important. It's, it's, that, it's, that, um, it's that perfect tense, which is the idea of over a period of time, I've studied and I know you. I know your heart. The idea of a subtle state of knowing based on past experience. The Jews often complimented and built each other, complimented each other, they built each other up in public, giving each other plaudits and glory. They loved to be seen giving and praying. And Jesus says, I'll have none of that. There's no love of God here. And it's shown in many ways. And if you read the four Gospels, you'll see the times where Jesus condemns the Pharisees. He criticizes. And the, the biggest thing, he, he brings them to judgment. I guess maybe I should say it that way. Because they judged and condemned others. That's what they did. And so their condemnation and judgment was brought upon them by Jesus. Again, he's telling them, this is my concern that you would be saved. This is my concern that you would be saved. The fifth indictment is, you are rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. He says in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In verse 43, he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Jesus said, I come in the father's name, you reject me. You're not going to say, you're refusing. He's offering them life and they are refusing it. They're refusing to acknowledge the blessing of the father on his life. He says, there have been others who have come. You're you're, you're, You're perfectly willing to listen to them. When They they come in their name. But I come in the name of the Father, and for that you reject me. Because Jesus claimed this relationship, this intimate relationship with God. They could not tolerate him because it put him above them. Sixth indictment out of seven. You seek personal glory. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Like I said, they, they, would, they would praise each other in public. They made a big deal out of that. He says, so how can you believe? And that's, a, in a sense, a rhetorical question. He says, obviously, you do not believe. You do not believe. Because you're seeking glory, honor, and praise from other people. He says, when you believe in me, then you move away from that. Wanting to hear well done from men often leads us to do things that are at odds with God. Wanting to hear well done from God often leads us to do things that are at odds with men. We have to understand that. Do not be, he says, he told him, do not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite is the Greek word they use for actors. And and, and in a Greek theater, what happened was actors would wear masks. They'd hold a little mask in front of their face. That way, one actor could play multiple roles. And so they would wear that mask, and that word is for a mask wearer. When he says about the Pharisees, when he says to people about the Pharisees, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, don't be a mask wearer. Don't be like them. They love to be seen. They love to be seen doing very moral, very righteous things. You remember the one part where they're they're leaving money as they go, and, and the Pharisee is making sure that each coin clinks very loudly as he drops in gold pieces. And Jesus says he, he wants to be seen. He wants the praise of men. And then he says these words that's so chilling to me, and that's all they get. That's all they get. Because I can do that. I can want to be seen. I've shared that before with you guys. I hate thinking about it. Going down the street with somebody who had obviously gone away for a vacation and their grass was overgrown. So I pushed the mower down the street and I mowed their grass because I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. And then they came back from their vacation. And about a few days later, the wife came up and was talking and said, someone mowed our grass. I can't imagine what a thoughtful thing to do. And I'm like. (laughs) And I finally said, well, I just needed mowing, so I thought I'd do it. It was you. Oh, thank you so much. And it just hit me almost like God was talking to me. That's all you get. There's your reward. Hope that's great for you. I'm like, crap, can't believe I did that. Loose lips sink ships. That's what I, my, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, I can't believe I did that. Why? Because I was 100% Pharisee right then. Doing it so people would see. Making sure someone knew. And Jesus says, you seek that. And so if someone goes, that's all you get. That's all you get. So he says, don't be like those hypocrites. Seventh one, you do not believe Moses, he says. Now, this is really kind of a big one for them because this is important to them about Moses. He says, but do not think that I accuse you before the father, your accuser. He says, when there comes the judgment before the father, who's going to be the person accusing you? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? What does Jesus say? He hits them very close to home. Moses was so revered. He wrote the Torah, the most important books to them, the first five books. He is it. And he says, Moses is going to condemn you. You are in such trouble. There's a bigger court coming, and Moses is going to be your accuser. They were hanging their hopes on being accepted by God in their belief of acting out and working through and being doing the Torah. Jesus tells them that Moses and the Torah pointed to him, and they're rejecting him. They were so concerned with the particulars of the law that they missed the point of the law. They were so concerned with being religiously correct that they missed what God was doing. We talk about this a lot. Man, I don't want to be so wrapped up with being correct on something that I miss what God is doing. Because that's where life is. So, four quick thoughts just to think about that this passage, I think, points to in a very very particular way. Stop seeking your own will and start seeking the will of the Father. Start rigorously rigorously at times stopping and thinking, why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? Stop sometimes and say, why am I angry? What is at stake here for me? Stop seeking your own will and start seeking the will of the Father. Be willing to submit to what he wants, whether we like it or not. Second one is embrace the incredible reality that people are lost. This seems so simple, but we have to because we can live like they're not. Offer salvation to your enemies just as Jesus did. Right in the middle of his defense, he stopped and told them, I want you to be saved. Jesus never forgot the reason he came. Let us never forget the reason that we are here, the reason that he died for us so that we would spread his kingdom. That means the people around us who do not know Jesus are lost thirdly read your bible like a love letter and not like a textbook go beyond the words of the page and seek to meet god through his spirit by faith in the living son that is we oftentimes go to our bible to find something i, I it's so easy to do i i need something to comfort me right now i need something for me i need something for me but we need to make ourselves students of the bible who say, I'm going to look in here for what God wants for me, not what I want. And that's an important distinction. Fourth, stop seeking glory from men and start seeking glory from God. This is very similar to the idea of doing God's will that I mentioned. But the greatest, I don't know if it's the greatest enemy of our faith, but a great enemy of our faith is seeking the praise of men. It is seductive. It makes us feel good. Jesus did not strive to please men. He lived for one purpose, and he lived for that totally. This is what he asks us to do. And so if your highest goal in life is to be successful in people's eyes, you have set your sights way too low. There's something way greater than that. And as I mentioned, too, if God is prompting you, maybe God is working in your heart to make a decision for Jesus or maybe to make changes in your life, I would encourage you, don't let it go. Seek someone out. Seek me out. Someone who will talk to you and, and, and confirm what your, your experience is so you don't let it just slide away. Jesus came to these, these people, or they came to him, and they immediately started accusing. They immediately started critiquing and criticizing. And he responded, and he realized this is a trial. And so he responded like it was a trial. He presented his defense in a very logical way, but with love. I want you to be saved. And then he flipped it. And he said, since we're indicting people, let me just go through seven. And he laid them out because there are seven indictments that we need to deal with also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's, it, has, it points to Jesus. It points to life. Help us to be people. Who will take it seriously, who will read and study and discern what you have for us. Help us to find our meaning, our worth, and our glory in you and in nothing else. And God, we see you working, and as a church, we want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Help us not to be um, led astray on, on things that don't matter. And help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.